Good morning, Tabernacle. Welcome, uh, both here and in Manistee, those that are watching online. Uh, We want you to feel welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for people who've made this church their church home. Uh, Not because I get extra credit bonus points for that, but just because I like you. Is that okay? I especially like Manistee, because Buckley is apparently not talking to me. Um, We'll figure that out soon. But I'm grateful for those people that are maybe trying out church for the first time. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And you picked a great day because today is the end of the first half of, of this epic saga that we've been in called Samuel. Today will be the last time you see that intro video because we're coming to halftime, right? And we're going to kind of be left on a cliffhanger. First Samuel is coming to an end. And next week, uh, uh, this might be a surprise, we're going into Second Samuel. It's going to be pretty awesome. I hope that uh, you'll stay with us. And um, Before we get there, though, uh, I, I want to just remind us again of where we've already been, because it speaks to what I think God might have for us in this last chapter of 1 Samuel. Um, Israel had wanted a king, and the irony was they didn't need one. They already had one. They had God. But they made a mistake that so many of us make, and that is we want to look like everyone else. We want to look like the world. We want to be like the world. Israel said, all the nations around us have a king. We want a king. God didn't want to give them a king. He said, you've got me, but they wanted a king. And so if you'll remember, God said to Samuel, I want you to go and anoint a king. Don't worry. They haven't rejected you. They're rejecting me. And Israel was warned that they were going to get this king, but that earthly kings were going to let them down. The one they anointed was instructed of them by God, and he looked like a king. His name was Saul. He was head and shoulders above everyone else. He was tall. He looked like he could be a warrior, a leader, a natural born. This is the one. And he became king, but as we've seen throughout these past 30 weeks of study, is that he began to live for himself and not for God. He obeyed sometimes, but not wholeheartedly. He wasted a lot of his potential. He started out pretty good, but then it was God speaking through the prophet Samuel that said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to someone else because I can't trust you with this. I'm going to give it after or, or, or give it to a man after my own heart. And you remember Samuel anointed David, David, the giant killer, David, the one outside of Saul's family that would one day take the throne. And it's been a long time. And the Holy Spirit came on David and left Saul. And we see David begin to ascend, success and victory. Mistakes, true. But for the most part, he's on the rise and Saul is declining. And then two weeks ago, we saw Saul now going to war against the Philistines. The mighty pagan Philistines are coming again. And he's afraid, and there's no Samuel, and there's no priests, and God's not talking to Saul anymore, and so he goes to the witch. And God allows them to conjure up the spirit of Samuel, and the spirit of Samuel tells Saul what God wanted him to know, is that tomorrow you will die. You and all your sons. And when God says that, there's no getting around it. And in the course of that, we saw that David, who's found himself on the wrong side of this war, he's actually with the Philistines. God saves him by sending him home, and he's got to sort out all that stuff where all, you know, the Amalekites came and stole his gear. You guys with me? If not, stop the tape right now. Go back and watch that one. I'm just kidding. Please don't. 
There's already enough in and outs. (laughs) But all of the events of these last three chapters happen in about a 48-hour period. And Saul's coming to the end. So with that being said, let's go to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 31. And I'll read from verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell upon his sword and died with him. Thus, Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel, who were on the other side of the valley, and those beyond the Jordan, saw that the men of Israel had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and fled, and the Philistines came and lived in them. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, They found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethsham. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose. And went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. This is God's word. And this is kind of a heavy and dark way to end it. And I told you it ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. What about David? What happens next? You'll have to come next week or find your Bible. But this is how Saul comes to his end. I don't know, those those three words struck me in verse 6. Thus Saul died, is how the writer put it. Kind of saying, in this manner, it was in this way. This is what the end looked like. Oh, how the mighty have Fallen, And it's sad, because like I said before, Saul began with such great potential. But he's chosen his way instead of God's way. He's chosen self over God. And this is how he finds his end. The Philistines are pressing in hard. You know, the, the, the combat in any age is, is a horrible thing, I'm told. But in this age, with spear and knife and close quarters, right? Swords. And there's archers. And the Philistines are overwhelming them. And being a king, he wouldn't be at the front. He would be somewhere near the front, but probably behind the lines. And I imagine he saw his sons die. 
Abinadab, Malkashua, and Jonathan, David's best friend. Loyal to this king. Even though the king had gone off the rails, they're still loyal to God's anointed, to their father. And they all fall. And those closest to him, they fall. And they're losing. People are dying. There's screams. It's a mess. And as they press in, the archers find their mark. And so Saul is wounded mortally. And he sees there's no way out. And at this battle of Mount Gilboa, he turns to his closest associate, his armor bearer, the one that's there to serve him, and he goes, finish me, lest these uncircumcised come and kill me and mistreat me. His meaning, this, I can't be taken alive. These are the Philistines. This would be like being captured by Al-Qaeda or ISIS, right? You know what they do. And Saul knows this. I, I can't fall into their hands. But the armor bearer is like, he's not having it because it says he feared greatly. Feared what? He feared God. He feared the fact that this was God's anointed, and he's not going to be the one to kill the king. He's loyal to the end, and so Saul has to fall on his own sword. It's kind of like uh, in the days of the, of the Old West, the 7th Cavalry fighting the Sioux or the Comanche or the Apache. Remember those old Western movies? You saved the last one for yourself. Don't fall into their hands. It's the same thing here. And the armor bearer does the same does the same. And it's not just the loss of the princes, and it's not just the loss of Saul, and it's not just the army's loss. It says that when the men of Israel saw that their army had been defeated, they fled their cities. And so the Philistines just walked in and took over cities. Now they're occupied territory. This is a defeat for Israel. It's a defeat for this kingdom, just like God said through the prophet Samuel. And then the next day, when they come to strip the slain, see what we can find, they come upon the king, and they come upon the princes. And so they desecrate the bodies, they mutilate the bodies. Saul is beheaded, and his head and his armor goes with the news of the great victory. We learn in 1 Chronicles chapter 10 that the Philistines actually put his head and his armor in their temple to the idol Dagon. Do you remember Dagon, the one where they took the ark and it fell down and then they set it back up and it kept falling down? It's the same temple. They sent it there. And then they took the mutilated bodies of Abinadab, Malkashua, Jonathan, and Saul, and they hang them on the walls of their fortress city at Bethshan. Now, for us, you know, sitting here in 2021, Buckley, Manistee, watching online, we're like, well, that's just gross. It was more than that. I, I think we need to understand this perspective because the Philistines are kind of, they're sticking it to Saul and his family. You thought you could defeat us? We're going to mutilate you. We're going to desecrate you. We're going to put your naked bodies on display for everyone to see. They were dishonoring him, but they're also dishonoring Israel. The whole nation, that's, a, that's like a stain on our history. When our anointed king was defeated in that way and then made a mockery, his body a trophy. But it was also, and don't miss this, it was dishonoring to God himself. Because even though Saul had lost his way, he was still God's anointed. You saw your God was so powerful? We're going to put the head of your king in our God's temple. See that picture? Let 
What can we get out of this? Well, here's the first thing. And I think it, it's going to feel heavy, but it's an important truth. And that's the fact that we see in Saul's death that life is short. Life is short. Now, I spent a little time nerding out to try to figure out how old Saul was when he died. Scripture tells us he was 30 years old when he became king. And in the book of Acts, in one of the apostles' sermons, they said that Saul uh, uh, reigned for 40 years. So he's about 70 years old. And so you might say, well, life is short, but, you know, he was 70. He had a good run. No. You see, whether you die at 7 or 17 or 70, life is short. It was short for Saul. Why do I say it's short? Because when you think about eternity... For all the time from here to wherever that is, forever and ever and ever, your life, my life, Saul's life, any life is a blip. It doesn't even register on eternity. When you really stop to think about how insignificant the time is of your life, even if you're granted 80, 90 years, 70 like Saul, life is short. Life is short. In James chapter 4, it says life is but a mist. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. It's a vapor, right? You're driving through Michigan when the temperatures change. You've been there early in the morning. You see the mist on the field and you're like, oh, get the camera. It's gone. That's your life. It doesn't last even to brunch. That mist is gone. Saul's life is short. And all of the could-haves and the should-haves and the would-haves are done. They're done. Hebrews chapter 9. It says, it, it is appointed to man once to die and then to face judgment. There's no do-overs. Right? There's no karma. There's no, oh, if, if my good outweighed my bad, maybe I'll come back as a monkey or a donkey. No, you get one shot, Marshall. Two of you got that one. It's appointed man once to die and then to face judgment. That means all of us have an expiration date. All of us have a due date all of us have a, it's time. And then there you are before him. Saul was the same way. You know, and I wonder, with all the potential he began with, with all of the years he was given, it still wasn't long enough for him to come to his senses and make something out of his kingdom. You know, it's interesting, my... My focus is going to be on the men of Jabesh Gilead, where it said valiant men arose. But before we get there, you know it never says that about Saul? Valiant men rose up and did something about this dishonorable site. They took action. They took responsibility. But that's not really something we see of Saul. We saw earlier in 1 Samuel, you know, after David killed Goliath and, and after he first heard that song, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands, when he first got that little insecurity, that little jealousy thing going, it said that Saul would attach himself to valiant men. 
He would find valiant men to hang out with. He would make sure that he was with the right people, but it never really says that of himself, him personally. He hung out with that crowd in order to look good, but it doesn't say that that's who he was. What is the point of being such a downer on a beautiful June day? When I'm talking about life is short, this is for every man, woman, and child because what I'm trying to remind us again is how you live matters. And more than that, who you live for matters. So how I treat people, how I come to God, the, you know, what I do with the time and the talent and the ability and the resources that I'm given, how I live matters. Oh, okay, so it's about being a good person. No, it's not even that because how you live matters, but you can be the best person and it's still not good enough. You can be the best person in the world and believe a false gospel, a gospel of good works, a gospel that says, well, if I stand before God and if, you know, I've had some good experiences and been a nice person and I was kind, you know, and I even had a be kind sticker and mostly my good was greater than my bad. I'll stand before God and say, oh, scales, right? They go this way. No, (laughs) it won't work because the smallest bad in you is worthy of hell. Only with Jesus. So it isn't just how we live that matters. Who we live for matters. Some of us spend decades living for ourselves. We waste so much of our time living for number one. Some of us waste a lot of time living for our children. And don't get me wrong, I love my children. I'd lay my life down for my children. But I can't live for my children. Because my children are going to leave. One of them already has. And the last one better. Because if he's still playing video games in my basement when he's 40, there's a problem. (laughs) Some of us live for our children. Or we live for the relationships that we have. Boyfriend, girlfriend, or spouse. No, there's only one who's worth living for. The eternal one. And life is short, and we're given these few years together to make something of that life, to do something worthwhile with that life, to live for someone with that life. I'm talking about Jesus. Saul's life, too short. And and I'm reminded again, if you got the Tab Insider, that one of our own, One of our own church family members, a member of this church, on Monday morning, did his devotions with his wife, and then his life was gone. It's gone. And that's the same thing that'll happen for each one of us. In verse 11, it says, When the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul... Jabesh Gilead, where we've heard of that before. You may remember at the very beginning of Saul's reign, when he was starting out good, news came from Jabesh Gilead that the Philistines were attacking. Their city was besieged and they need help. So they sent messengers to the new king. And you remember what Saul did? He rescued them. He rescued them. That's the same town. 
And apparently they remembered because it doesn't say the men of Hebron. It doesn't say the men of Galilee. It says the men of Jabesh Gilead, when they heard, verse 12, and I love this, all the valiant men arose. Valiant men. Do you know what valiant is? Well, I'm going to tell you, I think this is the part that's for us. You see, valor is a choice. Valor is a choice. Someone who is a valiant person has valor. And what valor means is courage, bravery, determination, boldness, taking a risk for an honorable thing. That's a valiant person. And we associate that with like, you know, a soldier that won a medal of valor in combat, right? Well, that's, a, well, that's for him, those heroes. That's not for me. Well, it doesn't give us their names. It doesn't say they got any medals. It doesn't even say they were professional soldiers. It just says, all the valiant men arose. And they went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. Think about that. They made a choice. They made a choice. They took responsibility. They said, wait a second. We remember Saul in the good days. Was he a good king at this time? No, I think they knew he wasn't. But they remembered what he had done before. You know, how quick are we to just dismiss people, just to remember the worst in someone instead of choosing to remember the best? Well, apparently these men in Jabesh Gilead were like, I remember. And this is dishonoring to him, and he saved us. And this is dishonoring to our country, and this is dishonoring to our God. Someone needs to do something. And it started with, I imagine, people talking. But they didn't this time send for someone else to do it. They took responsibility. Valiant men take responsibility. They took action. Valiant men don't sit on the sideline waiting for someone else to do it. They took action. They took a risk. They sacrificed. They went all night. You know, I nerded out to figure out from Jabesh Gilead to Beth, Beth Shot, like how, how far is this? It's about 10 miles. So at night, that's dangerous. It's, it's into enemy territory. They cross the Jordan. They're risking their lives sneaking up to this fortress and doing a hard thing, cutting down the bodies, hauling them back where they belong and giving them the honorable burial that they deserve. Valiant men arose. Church, valor is a choice. And it's a choice that each one of us can make. Now, let's put this all together. Why is John in the weird mood today? (laughs) Because life is short. And the older I get, the faster it goes. (laughs) Remember when you were a kid? Summertime, it just dragged forever. Remember being shipped off to my grandparents in southern Indiana when we were home from the mission field, and my grandma, she was already old as dirt, right? And you wake up in the morning right after breakfast, get out of doors. And you had to stay outside until lunch and then get out of doors and outside till dinner. There was no thumbs then. There was no, what's the Wi-Fi password? It was 1979. Get out of doors. And don't take candy from anyone in a bus. I mean, it was, that was it. 
and life just went on forever. But then you get older and it starts speeding up and you realize it's not that long. It's not as long as you thought. And then you get to the end and you're trying to grab onto every moment. And there's no could have, should have, or would have when he calls time. It's appointed once to die and then to face judgment. And what you live for and who you live for, it matters. And it'll matter in that moment. The forgiveness you didn't pursue, the forgiveness you didn't give, the reconciliation you didn't choose. Well, see, all those things are hard. It's hard to love your enemies. It's hard to do the right thing. It's, it's, it, it's hard to be generous. It's hard to be honest. All those things are valiant things, but they're possible for every man and woman and student and child. Who's listening right now? Because valor is a choice to take courage. You see, courage is a choice. Courage is when you're scared to death to say yes to God. Courage is when you're scared to death to do the right thing. Courage is when you're frightened. Oh, there's no way I could possibly do that. And then you do it anyways. Courage isn't something that you're born with. Courage is something that you choose. Valor is a form of courage. And these valiant men rose up and they did something. Tim and I were talking about that this week. He was like, they were like uh, uh, the special ops group. They were Camel Team 6. And all night they traveled at a great risk and sacrifice and selflessness to themselves. Can I tell you something? Valiant men and women have kept the doors of this church open for almost 90 years. Valiant men and women, we don't even know their names. We know some of them. And then it got to be the 80s and the 90s and it was still valiant men and women, but it was probably more women than men. There were men, there were valiant men here, but a lot of them were asleep at the switch or staying at home, and, and we're doing our best, right? Can I tell you one of the secret sauces have been the last 18 of the tabernacle? It's because valiant men arose. And that's not a sexist thing. Women have been doing it for decades, but sometimes men go to sleep at the switch, and they need a little kick in the batteries, if you know what I'm saying. And men found their Bibles and started paying attention to God and started serving and worshiping and getting after it together. And look what God has done. That doesn't happen unless we choose valor. You could choose valor. You can choose that way because valor is a choice. It's taking responsibility. It's taking action. It's choosing the selfless way, the sacrificial way. This is the way of Jesus. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was a valiant king? See, I don't want to be like Saul. And to be honest, I don't even want to be like David. Because David's going to have some good moments. He's going to have some bad moments. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus was the valiant king. He was the one. You say, what does he have to do with anything here? Jesus arose and risked everything on a mission to save me when I was dead. And he did the same for you. It says in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to get excited. You think I'm excited right now? I'm going to get real excited. So I just want to warn everybody because some people get awkward when I get excited. So buckle up, Manistee. Here we go. 
He's talking to the church. He's talking to Christians. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So this is one of Paul's classic run-on sentences, so I have to take a breath here. He's saying, before you were Christian, you were as good as dead. You may have had breath in your physical lungs, but you were spiritually dead. You were a dead man walking. You were, you were like a dead corpse hanging on a wall. That's who you were when you were serving the devil, basically. Verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I love how Paul writes. You were as good as death and you were worthy of wrath. Have a nice day. Aren't you glad it didn't end there? Because guess what's coming? A but God is coming. A but God is coming. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Anybody fired up about that? It's by grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's going to say it again when Paul repeats things twice. Pay attention. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So did you catch that? You were as dead as Saul on a wall. But Jesus went on a mission. He came to earth, a valiant mission. He served, he was selfless, he sacrificed. He was tortured and killed and he was strung up so that I could be cut down. And then he won a victory by defeating Satan, sin, and death, by coming back to life, ascending into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. How do you... How do you receive this? By being a good person? No. By grace, you've been saved through faith. You can't pay it back. You can't earn it. Good luck trying. It's free. That's why it says, so that no one may boast. So why should I choose valor? Not so that you can boast. Not so you get a little medal that says, I was a good Christian, whatever that is. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He did all of that to prepare you and me for good works. Our valiant king rescued us when we were dead. That if we receive his grace by faith, we can follow the way of valor. We can choose valor. We can choose his way. Do you see how that works? He did it first. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. Follow in my way. Follow in my steps. Life is short. What will you do with the time that you have left? How long will you wait? There's no guarantees. Some of us have been messing around with God for too long. 
been waiting to say yes and receive him and, as, as Lord and Savior. You've been dragged here by your spouse or by your kids or because it's the thing to do or it makes you feel good or you like the music, but you've never, like Saul, chosen the valor way yourself. You keep God and everyone else at arm's length. How long will you do that? When will you get over yourself and your pride and know him personally? That's one small step. But the journey continues. You say, well, I've already done that. I'm a Christian. I'm here. I'm... Yeah, well, <laughs> he's always calling us to take the next step. And the next step requires courage. The next step requires bravery. To get the help, to seek forgiveness, to seek reconciliation, to love people that don't look like you or vote like you. Oh, now you're pushing me. It takes courage to, to love people that have the wrong bumper sticker. Doesn't it? Oh, it's so hard. It's a way of valor. It's a way of courage. It takes You see, it isn't in the big moments, the, well, you know, if, if, uh, if I had to lay my life down, I would. I don't think it's the big dramatic valor moments God's looking for. He wants us to choose valor when no one's looking. He wants us to choose valor when no one sees. Just those little steps. Alcoholics Anonymous meets twice a week on our campus, and I've learned so much from those people. One of, one of the things that, you know, one of their little sayings, they have all these little wise sayings. One of them is, you know, just do the next right thing. Have you ever thought about the next right thing as the way of valor? The next right thing is obedience. So that's the way of valor, because it takes courage to not look like the world and instead to look like what God wants you to look like. And it's a million small steps. It takes valor to stay married to the one you said, for better or for worse, till death do us part. When times aren't so good. But to say faithful and true, it takes valor. I'm not saying that to hurt anybody. That's just the truth. It takes valor to be a domino. We lost one of the biggest dominoes our church has on Monday morning. God gifted him. If you got the Tab Insider, you know who I'm talking about. Spent a lot of his years running from God. But let me tell you about the last 12. Been running hard after Jesus. And some of you who sit here today are here today because he invited you. You know who I'm talking about. But life is short, and on Monday, gone. Lights out. And that's true for every single one of us. If you're a kid here today, or you're in Manistee, and you're thinking, oh, that's not me. I've, bar- I've buried way too many teenagers in 18 years. Your life is not guaranteed. Your 20s, your 30s, your 70s, your 80s. What will we do with what we have left? What would happen... What would happen at the tabernacle? If in Manistee and in Buckley, valiant men rose up again, I'll take responsibility. I'll serve. I'll go. I'll give. I'll sacrifice. I'll lay my life down for the honor of my king. Not King Saul. King Jesus. 
What would happen if valiant women did the same thing, took a risk to step out, to say yes? If valiant students wouldn't sit around and wait until they're out of high school, wouldn't sit around and wait till they're out of college, wouldn't sit around and wait till the kids are settled down, wouldn't sit around and wait till retirement. What if right now valiant students said, we're taking this town, this city, our village, whatever it looks like, we're taking it for Jesus. That's what we're called to. I don't know any other way. I believe he's calling us together to do that. Again, what does that look like for you? What small step? It starts with one small step. You know the cool thing about these men? We don't even know their names. They weren't looking for credit. They weren't looking to boast. They weren't looking for a name on a brass plate. Oh yeah, I was there. Where were you? It just says they did what was right and what needed to be done and they got it done. And I imagine if they were alive today, they wore steel-toed boots and Carhartt jackets. Or khakis. Would you bow your heads with me? The bands are going to come, but this is a time for us to do business with God. If you're not a Christian, I beg of you, to consider taking the courageous step and giving your life to Jesus. To asking him for his grace and believing him by faith. You can do that today. That's between you and God. And I... There's no greater choice or risk of faith that you'll ever take. If you are a Christian, I beg of you, To not pass off the responsibility to serve, to sacrifice, to give, to forgive, to love, to somebody else. But if we could be a little bit like the men of Jabesh Gilead, and a lot of bit like our valiant King Jesus, and accept the mission, and get after it together. God, I pray that you would give us courage. To give you our unreserved yes. That we wouldn't seek to be like David, but we would seek to be like Jesus. God, I thank you for the men and women and students of valor who've led the way. God, I pray that you would help all of us to become a part of this great mission that you've called us to. We love you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the time that you have given us. Would you help us to redeem it to the best of our ability, trusting you for provision, for guidance, and the courage necessary. And I ask all this in the name of your son, our king, Jesus the Christ. Amen.